Hello, podcast listeners. This is Alan Barr, and you are listening to The Alan Barr Show. You can find me at alanmbarr.com. I'm an internal tools product manager, and this is a podcast on technology, business, self-improvement, and other topics. Today's topic is going to be in-depth, similar to my previous episode about Wardley Maps, and this one is about API-first design. I've been doing a lot of research in this area. I want to share with you what I've learned and what it might mean for you if you work on APIs, if you work in a business that is doing software development and the importance of those APIs. Now, before I get into the whole thing, I want to tell you a story about an experience I had working at a marketing company in the past. I worked on backend APIs for the most part. The business was very simple, like most marketing companies. We want to get leads to a business. That is the most important thing. At the time, the company decided that it was going to start going international, and there was a lot of business happening in Brazil at the time that I was attempting to work with these individuals to build interfaces to communicate those leads to our back end. And it was very interesting where I learned about the importance of changing APIs. And what would happen is I would put the time into reading the API documentation that was provided, read about what I needed to do to make my system work for their system. And then I spent a few days on it. And then what I learned later in a week or two weeks is that I had to do the same thing again because their API completely changed. Not only was it a little different, it was completely reorganized and nowhere close to the same. So it really irritated me at that moment where I spent a lot of time working on it I didn't hear it about any changes until I was notified that it, the system didn't work. And then when I did learn about it, it was uh, incredibly different and I didn't have any information to get ahead of those changes. Uh, that person that was working on the API wasn't, for whatever reason, communicating to me and maybe many others, who knows. I was simply a consumer of this API that changed rapidly and then I needed to do more work. And I think that's where a lot of I'm going to be getting into today about what API design means and how to get it right from the beginning because while it may not feel like when you put out an API and then change it, it doesn't affect you and your time, it does affect the time of the people that were understanding a certain thing and then that changed from underneath them. So there are implications. This does drive what people can do with their time. If they're focused on a thing that they already did work for, then it's duplicate work, it's rework, and it's not great. So before I get into today's episode, I'm going to go into some other things, not just about API design. Let's talk about what is design. And the person I refer back to about design is Mike Montiero. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He appears a little grouchy, but he's really committed to the craft of being a designer. In his case, it's a web designer, However, the work of design is the same, whether it's for web or physical products. His article that I'll share in the podcast notes is about what does it mean to be a designer and what are the tools in your toolbox and what are, what are your expectations and what are you doing, right? So he defines a designer as a designer solves problems within a set of constraints. That is what we do when we work on technology and we provide things for others to build upon, we're attempting to solve a problem within the constraints that we have available to solve that problem. The constraints could be the technology we use, the business domain we're in, it could be the staff, it could be many things. We're simply given a task to solve and how we solve it is up to us. 
we need to paint within the lines and we have to define what those lines might be, what those boundaries for solving the problem are. Another great part of this article that he shares is asking the question, why are we doing this? If the answer isn't clear or it isn't clear to you or just doesn't exist, you can't design anything. Stop working. Can you help set those goals? If so, do it. And then in parentheses, yes, it is part of your job. Anything that helps you do your job is part of your job. That's what I think we need to do when we think of designing APIs is that all of the work in thinking through how an API is going to work and how people will use it is our job. Our job, if we're software developers, is not simply to type in the code. That is not the only part of the job. It might be a little challenging, it might be hard. However, the whole process of design, communicating, getting feedback, thinking through the problem space is part of the job. Now, you might be asking yourself this time, what is API design? What does that entail? What does the process look like? How do you do it? Ultimately, the goal of API design is to try and get it right the first time as best as you can. The reason you want to do that is because the consequences of getting an API wrong are severe. They're typically irreversible. As much as we love to do agile, iterative software development, an API you offer for others to build on top of is not possible to be iterative. It is going to be extremely wasteful if you need to make changes because once others have built on top of it and you make a change, you're asking them to do more work when they would rather not. They'd rather be focused on solving their business problem, not on the ones that you've included because you didn't spend the extra time you needed to get the design correct. Designing API might be incredibly hard, it might be difficult, However, if we're offering it up for use before we're done doing the design work, then we can only blame ourselves for not taking the extra time to get it right. As much as we love tools, they're not going to help us be better API designers. Creating an API for others to use is much more stylistic. It's much more about how we are used to working with APIs in the world, the ones we like, the ones we dislike, thinking through what they allow us to do, how they express things, as well as how can you compose them together to create a new experience. That's what we're looking to do. And the tools will tell us about some obvious things we might make as a mistake, which is as simple as something named wrong or the case isn't matching, all these things. For the most part, they're not gonna notice a gap in the design. They're not gonna notice a gap in the workflow. If there's some type of utility someone wants to try and use your API 4 and you don't include that, then you've blocked them from obtaining that value because of your design. So designing an API is incredibly important. And I think, and I'll get into this later in the podcast, we will do better in the future as the designers of tools for making design software to influence our users to understand the decision that they're making. It's really easy for us to put something out there get the feedback, have them start using it, and then learn too late that we could have done some things to reduce the risk. What we're trying to do in the long term is we want to, in in many parts of software, is the concept of shifting left. The idea being, if you think of a factory line of software, if we were working on a factory line, if we find a defect late in the process, if that product we've packaged is shipped to the end user, to their house, and they find the defect there, that's extremely expensive for us to fix it 
back in the factory because we've learned too late. Then we have to ask everybody down the line to change their process because of how we've created this product. It doesn't match the software development process as one-to-one -one as you would think. However, it's still important. I never thought of software quality assurance being related to does this API provide the experience that we're looking to get for our consumers? However, that is one part of it. If the product is not offering the capabilities that people want, or it's missing, or it's hard to use, that is part of the design, it's part of the work. And one of the things that's gonna be challenging with API design in a company, if you work with a company of people, is really this is a, a people process. It is the process of how people work together to create a product via design. If you don't have a design culture, then you won't be successful in the long term in building better quality products. If you stick to going implementation first, it's gonna be very painful. You're gonna waste a lot of time, energy, effort, and other people's time as they build things and you change them on them. So one thing I wanna be a cautionary of and help you be aware of is that in business, in this dynamic environment we're in, we are constantly going through transformation, cultural journeys of how we do our work. That is a big challenging thing about software is that you do it a certain way, it delivers value. However, over time, you can be lapped by others because they've adopted newer processes that are quicker, they're faster, they introduce better critical thought earlier, and you can simply go out of business because you're not willing to change. And you have to be willing to change your culture, your processes, the people and how they do things is the most important part of a business. It's not about the technology itself. The, the tools help set the stage to do great work. However, the people and the process are what makes it shine. So you might be aware that if you're going on cloud native, you're going through microservices, you're going through domain driven design, you're going from project to products, you're going through inner sourcing. These are all major cultural changes for a company. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be pretty hard. You might need someone to really champion these things and make people aware that this is happening. Otherwise, it's going to go real slow and it's going to be painful and people are not going to understand what's going on, why is it changing, why is it valuable. And this stuff is valuable. This really helps build better products for people to use. And that's the whole point of changing things is just to be better at building great products. So there's some other great parts of this essay from Mike Montiero about design. And one of those is this idea that your toolbox contains tools for input, activity, and output. So input is the goals and research that you do to build a great design. The output is the things that you've made. The activity is the actions of getting that to the marketplace. And one of the key quotes he highlights is about a book that he recommends that we all read. If, if you've read Design is a Job, then he recommends reading this, which is Design for the Real World by Victor Papanek. And he summarizes the book in these terms. You are responsible for the work you put into the world. So I want you to be aware that if you work on software, you work on APIs, whether you think through it or you don't think through it, you are still responsible for that work you put into the world, for the end results, for the consequences that these products that we are building shape into the world. And that's hard, but that's part of the job. It's part of life. As professional developers, it's our responsibility to get better, to learn from our mistakes, make better products, now you might be asking yourself, 
what if we don't take any time to design? I can simply make great things from the start because I'm clearly amazing and great. And that's all I need to do. And I would counter that. I don't know that that's realistic or possible. Certainly you can code and get something out there and try it out and learn from it. I think that's certainly reasonable. What I'm trying to call out is not simply the process of programming and creating something and trying it out. The process of publishing it, offering it to others to use and saying, I'm done. It's your turn to take this and build your new thing. That is the part I'm trying to call out is important for us to be mindful of. And I'm thinking through some ideas of how that could be shaped. And I'll share later in the podcast simply about crossing the threshold. When do you, with your team, move forward and say, we've done all that we can do with the time, the people that we have. It's time to offer this. And whatever the consequences are, we agree that we're going to move forward and deal with it as it comes. As long as we're mindful that once we are done iterating on the API and we've let others build on top of it, there is no more iteration. You will not be iterating anymore at that point because the API is in use. Others are consuming it. Once more than one group, one product is using that API, the cost of changing your API is incredibly expensive because you're putting that onto the other groups to make the change and forfeit other opportunities that they have to pursue some nominal changes that you've introduced because you missed something in your design. That might happen and there might be a good reason to bite that bullet and take that extra cost. However, be aware that there are consequences to that happening. We understand that once an API is offered, it is in use, it creates coupling across other products, APIs, systems, they're all assuming that will live and exist forever. If there is a really good reason to change the API, then it will cause a ripple effect across all the other systems, APIs that are using it. And it really needs to be worthwhile to make that change. Otherwise, it is a simple waste of time and energy of everyone's to make all those changes across so many APIs as they're being used. In a quote from Slack, which I'll cover in a little bit about their process of developing an API, they say, bad APIs become a liability for your company. It is that severe and the consequences are that grave if you are a company offering an API to the public. The stakes are high. Now you might be asking yourself, okay, What's the difference between API-first design and code-first? And that is an interesting question. Kevin Sokochev claims that is a false dichotomy. There is no such thing as API-first design versus code-first. There is more to API development than just those two items. The reason he says that is because he considers API development a spectrum of four types of API development practices. The first is API description first. This is the holy grail, the dream world that we all have around API development that may or may not exist, but it's simply what the industry or various API development tools are suggesting the process should be. And it may or may not match reality. The way that it would work is that the whole team of people, whether that's the product person, the developers, the partners that will be using APIs, 
look at this document that might be in YAML or JSON or some type of Swagger UI. You see how the API interacts, you play around with it, and you determine whether it meets your needs and decide, are we ready to offer this or not? That would be great. That would save everyone a lot of time. It would give them enough information to try it out in their various systems that they're gonna be building on top of this. In Kevin's example, the coded API description is the use of a domain-specific language to represent the API contract via coded semantics instead of using the bare YAML JSON of the open API specification. They could generate the API description from this coded domain-specific language using all the affordances that they're used to, however, still creating a document that everyone could review, interact with, then decide, is it time to ship this? Is it time to offer it up? The third example is an API framework. This is typically writing the code using a extension or plugin module system that annotates the way that the programming language works on the API endpoints. Your contract ends up getting generated via the code and the way that it's marked up. Lastly, there is implementation first where you're, you're coding without any documentation. You have someone plug into it and you simply deal with the challenges of whether your API interface was correct or not. That is a broad spectrum that Kevin has defined. It's easy for us to get wrapped around the axle about which of these is the best way to make an API. Kevin says that clearly implementation first suffers from the problems that the other practices do not. The idea that there might be a lack of foresight in API design, the description of the API is out of sync with the API itself. That becomes a long-term problem because it takes effort to read through code if it is not matching how the API is described. However, in his experience, Kevin reflects that his teams have struggled to adopt the description language first, using the YAML or JSON to describe the open API specification that is not a natural habit of developers. We need to be trained in order to understand this, to work via this method. It is not simply something we're taught or choose to learn unless there's some type of value available for it. So many of his development teams use the hybrid approaches of the coded API description or an API framework to jumpstart their API design process. It's really easy for us to get caught up in these different nuances about how to do code. And we understand that the speed to code is not most of the problem for us. There are a lot of undifferentiated heavy lifting in software development in today's world. That's why cloud native is taking off. However, there's parts of our process that we don't want to speed up too much. We still want to have forethought, design discussions, a lot of effort put into that. The biggest struggle we're going to have is a business, many businesses that are now software development shops in some fashion, learning the processes to make better products and building that into our system will be incredibly hard because we don't have any software that teaches us or training that tells us how to be successful in our API development. These are practices that are honed by people that are experts. They find really great jobs at companies that need API experts. For all of us that are working at normal, typical businesses, these are becoming fundamental challenges that we all need to learn and get better at doing, and we may not have the tools to do that. There are many API development tools 
out there on the market. None of them are gonna give you better API designs out of the box. You need to put in the effort, the thought, the processes with humans to get the value out of those tools because they're not built to make the design better. They're built to show you what's possible, point out very obvious errors, help you collaborate, provide a framework for collaboration, highlighting information. However, none of the tools, again, will have any opinions about what a good API looks like. If it did exist, it would probably be a billion dollar company because that is incredibly valuable and useful. So we talked about API first versus code first. We talked about Kevin's thoughts that it's more of a continuum. It's a little bit more complicated. We'd love to believe in this utopia where we all have a great collaboration process and we talked about things before we offered it up. However, it's not always possible. We'll want to learn from our mistakes and learn from the efforts of others that went ahead of us. We need records of information about what was successful. What was an API that really hit hit the mark of what we wanted at the time? What are the APIs that did not hit the mark? What were the obvious design problems with those that we could learn from? And there's lots of great books out there on API design. However, how many of us go to university and learn about better API design? Probably zero. Zero people have ever been taught what does it take to make a good API? What does it look like? What does it offer? What does it not offer? What I see valuable in the API design process and in including a API specification is you have this written artifact of the design process. What does the API look like? How does it work? What makes it good? What makes it bad? All those things. When it's only in code, if we're trying to have a discussion, it's not gonna be very quick or easy to have the discussion if we're reading through different files to try and understand what is this exactly doing? Or we need to put in extra effort to write a document explaining what our thought process of what the API does. This is the benefit of the API specification. It is very easy, though not great to read, but it's possible and it's standard. Many people might tell you, we have a great API design process. We have a whiteboard, we talk about it, then we do the code. And that's great, it's wonderful if you only have one API you ever make. If you're making tens, hundreds, thousands of APIs in a year, you will want to learn a lot more than what you can in a whiteboard session with a verbal discussion. If you're operating in a large enterprise, you really owe it to your peers to provide a documentation mechanism and collect the learnings from the APIs that are working and the APIs that are not. These become artifacts that you can reuse and you can share and you can tell the story to others about how they can be more successful in their API design. If we're only limiting it to a whiteboard and verbal discussion, it will simply not scale. Companies that offer public APIs take API design incredibly seriously because they have a lot to lose by offering an API as the way to communicate with their company. With an internal organization with many different business systems, it seems a lot less important and I understand that we have more time the stage is not so high and visible for people. However, we have the same kinds of consequences. And if you can design your API in the same fashion that you could offer it to the world, you might take your job a lot more serious. You might put a little bit more extra effort into the design. There's no reason to rush it. Slack, in their article, I'll share in the podcast notes, talks about their API design process, and they have four steps. They write an API specification, 
they get API internal reviews, they ask for early partner feedback, and they do a lot of beta testing. They put a lot of effort into their APIs because they know that it is part of their brand. They don't want to get it wrong as much as possible, but it's very likely that they'll still get it wrong. However, the more eyes, the more discussion, the more feedback, it sounds very committee driven. It sounds very onerous. However, it's worth it because the consequences are very high if you get it wrong. The benefit of APIs is something that seems so simple, but so obvious that you can build better things on top of it. That's why it's so important to get API design correct is because you could be restricting or forbidding future opportunities simply because you missed a possible use case that your design did not consider. MuleSoft categorizes three types of APIs, system APIs, process APIs, experience APIs. A system API is one that interacts with this low level system, usually retrieving data, dealing with complicated things. The purpose of this type of API is to make it simpler for people to get that information. A process API is one that deals with a business process. It might connect to various system APIs, make it simpler to get that data, and allow the business process to orchestrate across those APIs and to get an outcome out of that business process. And then finally, an experience API provides a new way for your customer to interact with you and your brand, whether that's solving a problem, scheduling something, anything's possible. It is something that gives your customer a new experience. All of those are very important in some fashion. You can get some of those APIs a little more wrong than others and change them if they're inside your internal business. However, they all come with costs of change. The more that you build on top of these things, the more that people connect other systems to them, the harder and harder it becomes to change them. So it's really important that we're applying as much thought as possible to getting the API design correct. Now you might be asking yourself, how do I design a good API? You seem to be talking like it's really easy, simple to do. It doesn't seem really clear. Is there any information you can guide me on? It's not going to be simple for you. There's a book by JJ Gewax called API Design Patterns. Lots of great information in the book. He defines a good API as having four properties. It's operational, it's fit for purpose, it offers the ability to complete a task, it's expressive. It allows you using the API to conduct your work in such a way that if you had multiple types of workflows, you could express it in a way that is natural and intuitive versus an API that is not expressive. It's much harder to do the work that you're trying to do. You might have to put a lot more effort into it because you don't have a way to communicate what you're trying to communicate or the API might be so simple like a remote procedure call where you're only able to do an action and that's it. An API is also simple as simple as possible and no simpler, predictable. As you're working with it, you're doing the work that you're trying to build on top of, it doesn't surprise you with some naming or semantics that don't match anything else. As much as possible, you want to offer consistency. Now, that sounds really easy to say and difficult to do. In the book, Irresistible APIs by Kirsten Hunter, she shares a few stories of companies that put out APIs that were not adequate for various reasons, how they fixed it over time. 
However, there were consequences for each of those companies. The three companies being Netflix, Twitter, and Flickr. For Netflix, they had an open ecosystem. However, their terms of use were constrained. It really prevented people from building anything of value on top of their open public APIs. However, they learned that most of these APIs were really great for integration, which has led to many different TVs, set-top boxes, incorporating Netflix into their platforms. So that it's really easy, any device I wanna to go to, I can use Netflix, which is great. However, they ended up sunsetting this open developer ecosystem because no one really could build anything of value from it. Twitter had a very similar situation where they created a very wonderful API. People love to build products on top of it. However, there were some products that were starting to compete with Twitter and that became a problem. So they changed their terms of service. It really upset a lot of people. They didn't like that. However, Twitter has come out of that much stronger. They also sunset an API that featured an XML format that very few people were using. That sunsetting took a lot of time, irritated a bunch of people because they didn't see a ton of value in migrating since most of the functionality was where they were already using. And then Flickr designed an API not following RESTful HTTP standards of using methods like get, put, post, delete. What it ended up offering instead was many get endpoints with actions tied to those resources. While this isn't terrible, it is confusing for developers when you offer a way to do work that doesn't follow the standards that other APIs follow. So in order for me to delete a photo from Flickr, I need to send a get request about a certain photo using a slash delete URL parameter. It is a little weird and could be frustrating. In the book, they suggest that bots could mistakenly delete things. However, with modern authentication methods, this is less of a problem of a bot randomly accessing your endpoints and deleting things. It's annoying and not a lot of fun to work with an API like this. Kirsten recommends following a process for creating your APIs and focusing on four areas, the business value, your metrics, your use cases, and then the API design and the schema model. And the reason you wanna focus on these things is because it helps you build a better product. You're thinking about what is the business value this is offering how do we measure that it's being used successfully? In what use cases do we expect people to try it out? And then finally, the hard part is the communication collaboration around how your API works, the data model it is receiving or sending out, making sure that you're following quote unquote API best practices, whether that means not letting your API care about where the data is coming from or many, many other things that we've already called out in this podcast and are in these books. Now, this podcast is much longer than most, and I don't want to keep you too long, but I'm very passionate about this area. I think it's really interesting because it affects so many of us in businesses today. It's not clear to see how we can be causing a lot more work for other people because we we don't know how to build really great APIs and great API experiences. And we can improve on this. However, it's gonna be a lot of work and it's gonna be a lot of effort. I wanna leave you with this last section to think about the design of software and how it impacts people. 
and how you can make people more successful via your designs. In the physical world, we can create interfaces that tell people how to act and react to certain situations. The physical world is bounded. It is really hard to make something in the physical world that is incredibly expensive, hard to use, overbuilt, all those things. With software, that is really easy to do unintentionally. Make it really complicated, hard to use, almost endless. We really don't want those things. We, we want to avoid that as much as possible. So it's our jobs as software designers, as product people, as people collaborating in a process to build better products to help people make better decisions in a moment that they're interacting with something. The reason this is important is because as designers, we're framing reality for people to use our products. We really need to take it seriously, the work we're creating, because it affects people and it affects how they live their lives. We don't want to cause undue suffering because we didn't want to take extra time to think through how this could affect people. That's what we're paid to do, is to think through how our software could affect people and hope not to perpetuate unneeded, undue suffering. The reason I'm focusing on this is because in software, it's really easy to go fast and put something out there and try it out. However, it's also really easy to not see that once we've put it out there, we, we've lost control of it. We can't protect people from using it incorrectly. We want to make sure that we get it right the first time. And that's why we want to make API design a focus. Where we're probably missing the mark as an industry today is that we haven't designed a system to help coach people and teach them how to be successful at this process, how to think through the affordances, how to think through the importance of the design about what limitations you're inflicting if you put out a unthought through product. If I call this back to the physical reality of working in a complex domain with people that may be paying attention or not paying attention, there is a silly example in Japan of the train operators. These train operators are working in a job that at times is incredibly boring and that at times is incredibly dangerous because of these big machines that are driving around at various moments hauling lots of things or cargo or people. They use a technique called pointing and calling to help them focus on the work that they're doing. It is a bit of a ritual. And through this ritual, it helps them reduce the amount of risk that they're taking and mistakes that happen in their day-to-day -day work. It sounds a little silly to point to things constantly, to yell things out. However, it keeps people alert. It helps them focus on what's happening in the moment. API publishing is something that we want to inform software engineers as becoming a consequential and irreversible decision that once you pass this threshold of offering your API, there is no longer any way to go backwards in time and undo your decision. This is a lasting decision that you're making. And once made, you will deal with the consequences of the effort and rework if it is to occur. There are other moments in life that are crossing the threshold moments. You can think of getting married or a rite of passage, moving from childhood to adulthood. The purpose of these rituals is to inform the community and the person 
that they are changed. They are no longer who they were before. There are new expectations. There are new behaviors of that person, and there's no going back. You've crossed the threshold, right? So our job as designers of software is to help encourage people as they're using our tools to understand the decisions that they're making and inform them when a decision is a lasting one, when they're crossing the threshold. And that is a really tough thing for us to understand and do because it's very easy to get into the week-to-week -week noise, to think that our work is only the typing, it is not the effects unto the world of what we've built. What makes software valuable is, sure, the automation to make processes more efficient, but it is also the friction we add to improve the quality and the effectiveness of design. We want to reduce the friction of you being able to get to the right work that you should be doing. We want to also slow you down so that you can think through how your work affects other people and how it's going to affect the world. And that's going to be a big challenge for all of us in the software industry for a long time to really inform people and build experiences even inside the businesses that we run that are just as good as what we would offer the common public. That is a big problem that many companies have inflicted upon themselves. If you think back to various AWS outages due to poorly designed internal tools, or notably, if you think of the Citibank episode where they paid off a loan early of $500 million because of a poorly designed user interface, which even though the amount of money required three people to sign off on before issuing, it was so incredibly hard to understand the graphical user interface that the entire amount of the loan was paid off uh, many years early. Citibank attempted to sue to get the money back that they paid. They still lost in court. All of this due to the lack of effort and time put into designing a better interface for their own employees to use. I wanna thank you for listening to this episode about API design. I, I think it's incredibly important because it calls back to all design that we want to put in the right amount of effort, thought into the things that we create and put into the world. However, it's really hard. It's a lot of work. It is not as simple as building a tool for people to use. It is a combination of people, the process that they use, and the tools that they use. We can build better experiences. We can record better knowledge of API design. However, it is the shared knowledge of what we know and what we've built together that will help us build better products in the future. If we're not doing our best to harness that knowledge, to share it out, tell the stories of what's successful, to warn about what's not successful, then we'll continue to live with the, the pain that we cause, the extra work that we cause due to lack of foresight and lack of care in designing the products that we make. So as you go into this week, I want you to think about how you can be a better designer. How can you better think through the constraints that are on offer and that you can help encourage others to think about the repercussions of their work into the world and hold them accountable to those results and improve. Let's improve. Let's make this a better place and have a great week.